Welcome to the Holy Soup Podcast, where the church's status quo and sacred cows get rounded up, simmered down, and dished out. And now, here's your chief cook, author, innovator, filmmaker, and founder of Group Publishing, Tom Schultz. Welcome aboard the Holy Soup Podcast. You know, about 10 years ago, the book The Shack began a long run, becoming a surprise bestseller, but also tossing its author, William Paul Young, into a swirl of controversy. Paul Young's fictional story of a man encountering God after his young daughter was viciously murdered was a story that was itself viciously attacked by some in the Christian community. Well, now the movie version of The Shack is hitting the big screen, and the controversy is, in some places at least, being whipped up once again. What's behind this angst, and why is this story, which uh, Paul Young originally wrote for his children, so explosive for some people? Well, let's go directly to the source. Let's talk with the author, Paul Young. Welcome, Paul. I'm so glad to be with you. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you. Well, first, uh, let's... uh, Talk about the book, and, and now we've got the movie uh, coming out. I'm just interested on a personal level. What is this like for you to see your book made into a major motion picture? It is one of the most surreal. Well, the last 10 years has rather been surreal. But <laughs> a movie, you know, you, you go on set and you watch 50, 60 people all being paid to do something that you wrote on a train wow. to get it done as a Christmas present for your kids. Because wow. you know, like, I, had, I had no bucket list intention to be a published author. You know? it was yeah. just, it, I had nothing else to give them, and my wife Kim had been asking me for a few years to, you know, would you just write something that puts in one place how you think as a gift for our kids because you think outside the box? Mm. It was, um, you know, and those... I made 15 copies at Office Depot, and those 15 copies did everything I ever wanted that book to do. Wow. So all of this to me is God's great sense of humor. Wow. So very surreal. Huh. As, as you've watched uh, the movie come into being, uh, how, how close is it, as you've seen these images and the visual presentation of the movie, how close is it to what was in your mind's eye as you wrote the book? Um, I love movies, and and what they have done with The Shack is one of the most faithful adaptations of a book I've ever seen. Hmm. And um, they really uh, wanted to maintain the heart and the impact um, of the book. The, the people who have put it together, Gil and Lonnie Netter, uh, uh, specifically Lonnie, who is an absolute champion and advocate for The Shack, she loves it. And Gil, too. Um, and Gil is the producer for Life of Pi and Marley and Me and Blindside and a host of other movies. But they have been really on it to, to be a faithful adaptation. Uh, translating written word uh, novel to screen is a huge undertaking mm-hmm. anyway. Because mm-hmm. It's highly collaborative. And, and uh, so, you know, it's, it's never going to please everybody. But I can tell you from the screenings that we've done, that no one has been disappointed mm. um, about the the movement from the book to the screen. Mm. It is a fantastic job. Oh, that's cool. Well, uh, on the other side of things, already uh, we've seen out there that uh, some of your critics are all fired up and 
charging you and the film once again with heresy. Well, what what have you yeah, created you know, in your writing that that, that is so know, upsetting to them? How you talk about them? <laughs> uh, <laughs> they are modern evangelical fundamentalists, you know, and uh, they're pretty much the group that um, a lot of them won't even read the book and uh-huh. still don't like it. And <laughs> but I. I come from that world. I'm a missionary kid, preacher's kid, from the, the middle of modern evangelical fundamentalism. So um, I get it. And, and you know what? Uh, it doesn't bother me at all. I, I think that it's a good thing when people are a little bit agitated about their beliefs, because at least they're engaged. Mm. And there's a conversation to be had. And when somebody is upset, for the most part, they're, they're not coming to tell me about me because they don't know me. And uh, so if I'm not at risk, because I know me, mm. and, if, and if I'm comfortable in my own skin, then I can listen, because they're coming to tell me in the only language they know how about what matters to them and um, what they're afraid of. And, and most of that I already know, because I grew up in that same world. Mm. Um, the amount of controversy is loud, but it's a very small um, group. Mm. And um, the majority, not only domestically but globally, has been unbelievably receptive to the conversation about the love of the Father, Son, mm-hmm. and Holy Spirit. Mm. And um, and so you know, I deal with the with the theological elements of it um, as it comes up, and it but it doesn't bother me at all. I th- I think it's a good thing. We're in a transitional time anyway, and. My work is grounded in the early church theology, Athanasius, Irenaeus, and uh, the early church mothers and fathers. So I'm, I'm feeling like I'm on pretty good, solid ground. I just use imagery that is sort of a challenge to um, my own people. Mm. And, uh, and I didn't intend to. You know, I made the 15 copies, and that was all I ever intended that book to do. So mm. the fact that God has seemed to, in God's great gracious sense of humor to turn this into something that is rather um, a juggernaut in the world is is remarkable to watch and I'm actually very thrilled to participate mm. don't understand it but I do I am I am glad to be here the the book as well as the movie part of the controversy comes from how the God the Father is portrayed as uh, in the story an African American yeah. woman, yeah. and it's in the in the film which I've seen. It's beautifully portrayed uh, by the actress in the film. And why is that so difficult for people to be uh, caught up in in with that particular aspect? Uh, I think because a lot of our uh, theological history, mine and, and my tradition, there was this real sense of need for certainty, and um, and kind of, we're kind of addicted to being right. Uh, and a lot of our imagination and imagery we created out of the last few hundred years of a shift towards a very forensic, uh, almost a Zeus-like God, distant, unreachable, unknowable, and Jesus became the mediator between that God who needed to be appeased and us. And um, so there was a lot of different streams that went into that, and out of that came a very concrete sort of imagination about God being male, um, 
much more masculine than feminine, even though scripture is full of feminine imagery and animal imagery. You know, God is a mother bear or a lioness or an eagle or, you know, and uh, inanimate object imagery. God is a rock or a shield or a strong tower. None of that imagery is intended to define God. It's never intended to put God in a box. It's to help us look through a window to see some facet in the character and nature of God. When we say God is a rock, we know we're not saying God is an actual rock. We understand what that means. And when you deal with the, the entire feminine um, side of the character and nature of God, and, and you know, us being made in the image of God is, is male-female, all of masculinity, all of maternity, all of paternity, uh, uh, femininity originates in the Father, in the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. And that's traditional Orthodox theology. Mm. But, you know, we got sort of stuck along the way with, with having this distant deity that we had to appease, and, uh, and it really did some disservice and devastation toward the relational reality of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and this relentless circle of affection within which we have been created. Mm. So all of that goes into it. And, you know, having Papa as a large black African-American woman was just trying to get away from some of the imagery I grew up with, where, where you know, God was Gandalf with a really bad attitude, white, distant, bearded, mm. the whole thing. And, um, and you've seen the movie, it's, it's brilliant in terms of saying, we're dealing with three persons who make up the oneness of God, and the movie is, is so good about maintaining the historical, traditional orthodoxy of, of the evangelical heart, and, um, and I'm, I'm thrilled about that. Mm. You know, another point of uh, contention that some have had is uh, they feel that you've somehow communicated an alleged universalist undercurrent in the story. I know. Isn't it great? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's a really good conversation, too. Like, what do you mean by universalism? And, and people mean very different things. So one person will say, well, you're just saying that all roads lead to God. I'm going like, Really? read page 184, the page that got me in so much trouble, and just read it carefully and, and realize that a lot of people read it and then retranslate it so that it says the opposite of what it actually says. Papa says, I mean, uh, Jesus is having a conversation with Mackenzie. Mackenzie said, so do all roads lead to Papa? And, and Jesus said, he laughs, he says, no, most roads don't lead anywhere, but I will go down any road to find you which is the story of, you know, the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go find the one. It's the prodigal son. It's the woman who loses the coin. It's, yes, God, God loves us, and God will pursue us down any road we go on. So people took that phrase, which was designed to communicate that, no, not all roads lead to God, and, uh, and people flipped it mm. so that they heard it within, you know, that's the power of the paradigms that, that we think and believe. Now, also, people can say, well, do you mean that everyone was included um, in the salvific work of Jesus? Now that, I do. Mm. If, that, if that's what it means to be a universalist, I'm in really great company. <laughs> and, um, and that goes all the way back to the early Church easily, mm. um, and, it, and includes you know, Calvin and Luther and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and 
and a whole bunch of other folks. So, um, uh, and I think Scripture is clear about that. Mm. Ephesians 1 or Colossians 1 or John 1. All of creation is created in Christ. Nothing mm. can separate us from the love of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if that's what you mean by universalism, and, and that's the accusation, well, I accept that. <laughs> uh, but there is another uh, shade of it, and that is people say, do you believe that every human being will be ultimately reconciled face-to-face back with God? And it's, uh, it's universal restoration or reconciliation. And at that point, I say, I don't know. I hope so. Um, so I, I'm hopeful about that. But I, there's not enough in Scripture that allows me to step over that line and put my trust in the doctrine. I'm going to put my trust in a God who is good all the time and is relentless about um, their pursuit for us, mm-hmm. toward us, about us. So and on that, on that level of accusation, I've been really clear that I'm, I'm not doctrinally, um, I haven't stepped across that line. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, you know, here's the question I ask. If God, in God's wisdom and love and, and just incredible mercy and everything else from before creation figured out how to restore and win every single human being face-to-face back to God without the violation of one human will. If, if that was possible, would you be opposed to it? And, and I would say, you know, I used to be opposed to it because I thought I was better than other people. Or, you know, I knew certain people that I didn't want to make it. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I was really sure about myself, but um, so, you know, it's like, okay, come on, let's take this out of the realm of some doctrinal theological conversation and put it, put it back inside the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. Well, these are really fascinating things, I think, to... Uh, to talk about and, and to dialogue about here at uh, Holy Soup and and in uh, the in my book Why Nobody Wants to Go to Church Anymore we talk about something we call fearless conversation it means that we believe the Christian community should not fear talking about anything and that shutting out discussion about things that some people may find uncomfortable is in fact that that's hurting the church and hurting the the cause of Christ. Now, some have gone so far as to ban your book, and I assume some will boycott the movie, but the efforts seem aimed at not simply disagreeing, but attempting to vanquish you, or at least attempting to restrict their constituents of even discussing your story. What do you think this, this fear of conversation, what does that say about the state of the church today? You know, it it says we're in transition. I mean, we've had uh, a number of generations where brick and mortar, we've created our little isolated um, little kingdoms. Um, you know, we have, what, 40-some thousand denominations, which proves that we are really good at dividing up the mm-hmm. body of Christ. And um, so, you know, and we built our lives around it, our sense of identity, worth, value, significance, security, meaning, purpose. All of those things are at risk. When, when something challenges it from outside. And, and what I find is that most of people's issues are not intellectual, are not theological, they're affective. People are afraid. They're afraid that they might lose their job. They're, they can't teach this. And, man, I'm around really high-level uh, religious leaders, uh, professors, teachers, who readily admit 
you know, like Nicodemus in the middle of the night. And it's, and it's like, man, I, I believe this, but I can't say it, or mm. I can't bring this up as a question, because mm. I, I, you know, I've got a family to support. So you end up with, with affective issues that we are not in touch with a lot of times, that are driving um, our need for certainty or a need to be right. And um, this is, this is, I think we're in this incredible transformational period of time, a transition, almost like the cusp of a new reformation, because the systems are not working, and, 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 and they've got to be re-understood as places of safety, especially like for the millennials. I was thinking about this this morning. Here you've got this incredibly active, creative group of of young people who are not bound to the traditions historically. Not that those traditions are all bad. They brought a lot of good things into my life. Mm -hmm. But we think we've got to keep the brick-and-mortar place together, and, and it's about bringing them back into this, rather than saying, you know what? In Jesus' day, the millennials are the disciples. Those, those guys didn't end up in brick-and-mortar places, they ended up going all over the world and establishing the community of faith. And so, but they would come back to the little communities that they had nurtured or brought into being and all that, um, just to rejuvenate or refresh or whatever, but they were never intending to stay there. And and we're afraid, because we build our little systems and businesses and ministries and everything else, and, and we're, we're, we're not trusting God about these things. We're, we're trusting marketing and, mm. and branding and all this other stuff, which includes the way we structure churches mm -hmm. a lot of times, mm -hmm. too. So I think a lot of the fears are, are affective rather than, than r really have a basis in, in an um, intellectual or theological mm. conversation. Mm. It hides behind that. Yeah. But, um, and, and, and that brings us back to our humanity. Of course we're afraid. You know, let's, let's start to admit that, then we can maybe begin to move in the direction of trusting rather than in the direction of control. Mm. Which brings up, uh, I think, some of the themes in your story. And millions of people have been touched by the story in The Shack, and uh, millions more are about to be touched in uh, the film version as well. And as I was watching the movie, I was processing through my mind, well, who is who can be best affected by this story? Who would I want to bring uh, to this story? And since you've been around the book side of it for the past decade, who, who are those who seem to be most moved by your story? And what has the story done for them? Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, the, the folks that have been moved by the book and who are being moved by the movie and the screenings and everything else are, is across the gamut. It's every age group. It's, um, um, I think there's an openness to the conversation in the, the younger generations and the millennials and um, just because there's an openness in their world. And, um, but people who have had a difficult history with religious environments, who have experienced the spiritual abuse that sometimes can attach itself to religious systems, um, who are, are really struggling with institutional structure. Um, this will be back into an invitation toward relationship. 
But that's true for those who are in the brick and mortar, who feel that that's where God has them for this season and this time. And that's absolutely legit. And, uh, but it's impacting them. So, you know, I was at a, I was at a gathering yesterday um, uh, that uh, is a huge, uh, represents the leadership of a huge denomination, 15,000 churches. And, um, and they watched a screening. And, and this is a community of people who have never had a movie, a picture show allowed uh, to be ever seen at any of their conferences for decades, hmm. ever. Wow. This was the first. Hmm. And their response was over the moon. It was absolutely um, incredible, the impact, because it's a story that's human. Not, it's not trying. The movie makers aren't trying to make theological statements. They're trying to be true to the book. And the book has got a lot of theology in it, so it just kind of spills over. But the movie makers are trying to stay with the intent and heart, but it's a human story with human questions. And, um, and as a result, uh, you know, anybody that's a human being can, is, has been impacted by this story. Um, um, again, most of the people who don't like the book have not read it. Mm. And, and I know this because I run into them all the time. Um, I had my first protesters in Orlando. And and I get there, and I, I think it's some protest or something else, and I ask somebody what's going on, and they said, they're here for you. I go, like, I got protesters, man. I was cleaning toilets and shipping out soldering tips, and I have protesters. Like, how cool is this? <laughs> so it was 100 and some degrees in, in Orlando, and and there were cases of water in the venue. So I, I asked if I could have one, and I took it out, and I started handing it to the guys that were protesting, you know, <laughs> with their placards and their bullhorns and the whole thing. And finally, one of them says to me, hey, uh, do you work here? I go, no. He goes, uh, so why are you handing out water and stuff? I said, well, I'm the guy that wrote the book you're mad about. <laughs> what? So we all gather around, the whole group, and they, for about 50 minutes we talk. And I invite them. I said, come on. you know. And I come to find out that not one of the protesters had read it. Wow. Not one. And And I just laughed. I went like, you are so my people. <laughs> yeah, this is the mentality of my people. And, and I understand that some folk, you know, they have legit questions, and those questions need to be talked about. And, but here's the beauty. Questions aren't our enemies, right? And, we, and being right is not a spiritual gift. <laughs> mm. So we're all, we're, we're all in this together, and we're all in, in a journey of, being led and taught by the Holy Spirit inside the wisdom of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and uh, and I, and I love this. I love that the shack has has really put this conversation front and center. I know I know people who have been my people, some of my people who were invited to read the book and are being invited to see the movie by people who are agnostics and atheists and you know New Agers, whatever category you want to put people into, um, but whom the book and the movie has touched deeply. Mm. And uh, so, uh, you know, I think it's definitely across cultures. The book is uh, the number two in the history of Brazil. Croatia dupped it, their book of the decade. And wow. the Ministry of Culture asked me to come speak to the country. So hmm. it's, this is a God thing. Nothing that anybody could have predicted or managed into being. And, uh, 
And I think it's just part of the conversation that's rising up all over the planet. Mm. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, Paul, as we as we think about this film version, uh, right now we're we're experiencing a surge of Christian and and faith-based films coming out of Hollywood. And I know some in the Christian community are sometimes a bit embarrassed by the by the schmaltz and predictability in some of, of these movies. How is The Shack different, in your view, from much of what has hit the theaters in the past few years? You'll, when you watch it, you will see that the quality of it is, is incredible. The acting is superb. There's... There's, it's not a B movie, and um, you know it's uh, the skills of the people that came together. Not just the skills, but the heart. These are folks that have been touched by the book, um, you know, all the way down to the set designer, and uh, so it shows. And the, and when, even when you watch the trailer, it has an emotional impact on mm. Um And the thing about it is, and I and I said this a, a couple minutes ago, is that. It is a human story. Um, yes, it's about faith, but faith is a human question. And, you know, Jesus, as the incarnation of God, as a human being, is front and center to the whole conversation about our humanity. And, um, and, and unfortunately, when you, when you take art, and I love fiction, because I think fiction has a way of opening space up that nonfiction doesn't. And that is that fiction has an inherent respect for the reader to hear for themselves. And, um, but a lot of times what we have done as, as religious folk is we have turned um, creative work into propaganda. We have attached a hook to it or, you know, as a means to an end rather than create a space that allows human beings to hear for themselves, where you not only have a respect for them, but you have a respect for the Holy Spirit's activity in their lives. And, and you trust the Holy Spirit and don't try to play the Holy Spirit. Mm. And, um, and I think the shack does that. Mm. It, just, it just lays it out there, because the response has been so different from different people, depending on where they're at, mm. you know, and what they hear, what they see. And, um, and I think that's part of... I think the shack opens up the possibility of a conversation for the creative community to say, there is a way to address this um, that is powerful. It's not that it's never been done in movies. It's done, even even silence is a powerful mm-hmm. movie about faith. And, and there is a sensitivity rising generally in the community of creative folk um, in Hollywood and elsewhere uh, about the breadth of our humanity involving our spirituality and our, our, the issues of faith that are so significant to most of us. And um, we just, we, I, I'm just hoping that it, it, sets, it just sets an, um, an invitation to a level of creativity and says, we can do this. You know, this is something that we as human beings can engage with that, that actually will be helpful in the planet to the conversation that the Holy mm. Spirit seems to be raising. Yeah. Well, thank you, Paul, for uh, joining us in, in this conversation. And as, uh, as, as the film rolls out, uh, can we expect to see you sneaking into the theater and watching people's reactions to the film from the back? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be looking it's for you. It's like, you know, when people send me emails, I'm reading, I'm reading 
the impact of the book in their lives over their shoulders. It is, you know, the book hasn't given me identity, worth, and value. And all the things that matter to me were in place before I wrote the book. But what it has given me is an ability to step into the ground of other people's story, which is holy ground. And, um, and it is such an honor. And I'm so thrilled to be a part of that. Uh, it goes back to your first question. You know, how do you, how do you feel about this? You know, it's like, it's unbelievably <laughs> surreal. Um, not always easy, but uh, such an honor to be in the middle of this. And, and I'm really grateful. I'm grateful to you, Tom, for, mm-hmm. for um, having me on and mm-hmm. doing stuff like this. It's, you know, it's, it's a funny, wild, beautiful, um, amazing time. Yeah, yeah. Well, what a thrill. Well, thank you, Paul. Uh, thanks again. And uh, we do urge uh, everyone to, to uh, get out, see this movie, talk about it. Uh, there are so many things. There's so many powerful lines in the movie that are just uh, deep and, and uh, will provoke lots of good discussion uh, with uh, family and friends. So urge you to do that. And we will see you all next time on the Holy Soup Podcast.